evening, and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is Wednesday, November 11th, 2015. We've got a great show for you. Angela Levesque is our guest. We're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about a healing environment internal inside the body. We're going to talk about a global community facing a crisis of health. And uh, Angela is going to call in in a few minutes, and we'll get to that. So I'm sure you have a lot of questions on that, too. So if you want to call into the show, feel free. The number is 347-945-5834. So what's going on? Well, uh, it's November 11th here in New York. We've had a couple of rainy days back-to-back, but nothing too bad. Uh, We're kind of making a long turn, a November turn towards Thanksgiving, Um, what's been going on in the news out there? Well, a big, uh, somewhat of a controversy on the Starbucks Christmas cups. And I noticed that, uh, a lot of folks, you know, it's interesting. I've noticed that, uh, a lot of folks are, uh, upset about that Starbucks didn't put Merry Christmas or whatever they put on their cups in the past. It's just a red cup. I'm a Christian, but, um, I'm not upset because number one, Starbucks is a private company and uh, they can put whatever they want on the cups. They don't have to put Merry Christmas or Happy New Year or Happy Hanukkah or Happy Kwanzaa. They don't have to make a red cup. So we can't expect them to do exactly what we want them to do all the time. If you don't like it, don't go to Starbucks during the holidays if it means that much to you. Uh, I think you also have to think about inventory control. Maybe one of the reasons they're not doing it is because they don't want Merry Christmas cups in abundance after after Christmas. But I guess through proper planning, they would minimize that. On the flip side, I noticed that the people are saying that it's not a big deal, shut up and all of that stuff are not Christians. And um, they certainly have a right to say whatever they want. However, you know, you got to think about that. If it was your religious holiday and something like this, if you turn the tables, if you will, would you want people of another religion telling you that it's no big deal? You'd probably say, hey, you're not a you're not of my religion, so you don't know if it's a big deal or not. So why don't you just uh, pipe down? So we've got one of these things where it's a uh, just uh, an issue where people have decided they're going to argue about it. And it's really nothing. It's about a stupid paper cup for the holidays and it's a private corporation is going to do whatever the heck they want. So people let's not get all bent out of shape over this. It's just a paper cup. Enjoy your coffee. Um, what else is going on? Well, last night we had the Republican, the fourth debate and we had uh, the, the governor of uh, my state that I grew up in New Jersey. Chris Christie has now been regulated to the, uh, to the kids table for the pre-debate. And his whole thing is about, I'm going to prosecute Hillary. I'm going to get Hillary. Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting him very far because he has to get past all of his Republican opponents before he can tackle Hillary. Um, so I, I, I look at these guys and I can see, you know, with the big debate, you know, everybody's got specific strategies. You know, I thought Trump had a chance. Um, as crazy as he is, he's tapped into the anger that's out there, but he, I thought strategically what he needed to do was kind of elevate himself. The guy I think has got pretty high frequency to begin with, even though he's a little out there. Um, but this thing with the wall, he, instead of kind of distancing, distancing himself from that by focusing on other, other issues, he keeps doubling down on the wall and it's an impractical idea. And now today he was talking about having a, uh, deportation squad or something like that. And it's just, it's just an impractical thing. You know, the whole thing with immigration is yes, it is a complete drain on our resources. And the idea that people can come into the country, have a baby, and then the baby's an American. I I don't, I don't quite understand that. And I don't understand why illegals uh, or undocumented workers, whatever, get benefits. I mean, to me, you come in here, you're on your own. What usually happens is you're exploited because companies hire these people because they don't want to pay a fair wage. And then they hire the illegals and the illegals get, get exploited. Uh, so maybe it's not worth coming here, but when you start bending over and giving the legals a lot of, uh, benefits, then you put a strain on the system. And I can see why people get upset about that. So it's a very tricky 
it's a very tricky issue, but I think Trump is going to uh, actually uh, talk himself out of the race by continuing to double down on the wall. And then you've got young Mark Ru- Marco Rubio, who to me sounds like a came, just came off the high school debating team in terms of uh, his style. And he's basically positioning himself as, oh, look, I mentioned Candy Crush. I'm the young guy. I'm the youngest person. So it's the new generation. It's the new it's the new century. Well, the new century has been going on for 15 years now, and it's nothing it's not not very pretty. So I wouldn't be so quick to grab hold of that. But, um, you know, that's his positioning. And strategically, it's working. He's very well prepared. Uh and uh, we'll see how that plays out. You've got Jeb Bush, who just seems like he's stuck in the mud. The guy seems so, he's like full of agony. He's so, so, and he just doesn't like the whole process. And sorry, that's how it works. You've got to go through all that. And then for the rest of the guys, it's pretty much a mud fight. And um, so we'll see what happens. It's highly entertaining, though. It's a little scary, but highly entertaining. Um, you know, they didn't get any questions and then I'll move on, but about the NSA or GMOs or equal pay for women. Um, and these are real issues. It's always, you know, there's a lot of about God and you know, the Christian Christianity and, and, uh, you know, uh, the flat tax, the tax system's all wrong and more money into the military. So last night, it seemed like the, the candidates were asked the questions they wanted to be asked. They weren't challenged. And I guess that evened it out because at the previous, the previous debate on CNBC, uh, I think the moderators made a mistake by editorializing some of their questions and uh, didn't come across well. So we'll see how it shakes out, but highly entertaining. Uh, what else is going on? Okay, we're going to get ready to get to our guest now. It's, uh, it's 11-11, 2015, and I say this because it's supposedly, uh, you know, the number 1111 is a... Uh, is a, a number we should keep track of when we see that number on the clock, on our watch, or whatever. It's a uh, it's a time where the universal consciousness is paying attention to our intentions. So we want to make sure our intentions are really good. And for this day, particularly at 11 11 a.m., people feel that it's a time that we really have to put our intentions to work. So, as a segue into bringing our guest on, a year ago. On 11-11-14, I went into the hospital. I had a diagnosis of opportunity that I've mentioned in the past. But basically what happened, I was out running in the summer of 2014. I had tremendous pain on my left side. It turned out I had a kidney stone, uh, unbearably painful. And when they did a CAT scan, they found a growth one a growth on each kidney, which uh, was what I call a diagnosis of opportunity. Fortunately, it was only stage one, not aggressive, things that could be taken care of. I had two robotic surgeries, one in September of 2014 and one exactly a year ago today, which my doctor was concerned about. It was a little trickier. It came out, turned out perfectly. And I decided that I would spend the following year working on myself internally and working on my internal environment. And the reason I say that is that and it's been a year, is that when you go through something like this, um, the way the Western medical community is, they, they observe and then they extract or they prescribe. And that's just how the way it works. And there's studies done, but studies have to be done over periods of like 20 years, or whatever. So it takes a long time to figure out why things happen and, and, and cures and things like that. So the best cure, we're, we're basically on our own. Your best cure is to live a good, clean life make proper uh, decisions about what you eat, what you ingest, what you think, and how you take care of yourself. And what that does, it creates, you know, I had these two growths and I figured, well, nobody's telling me how I got them. Nobody's telling me about preventing them from happening again. They were taken out, they encapsulated, they're gone. There's a 98% chance I'll never have to deal with something like this again. That's good. But the onus has been on me to create an internal environment that's healthful. Uh, to me, you know, the balance between alkaline and acidity is very important. So I've worked on that for the past year. And this way, I don't create an environment where something negative can grow inside me. And that to me is the key. People say, oh, is there a cure? Let's, we have to have a cure for this, a cure for that, a cure for cancer, a cure for this disease. The cure is not getting it. The cure is taking care of yourself. And with that, I want to talk about our guest, and I'm really pleased to uh, to have her on the show. She is a uh, 
uh, a crusader, if you will. She's out there on her own, and uh, she's taking on this crisis of health that we have. Uh, the statistics are staggering. Two-thirds of our population is overweight. Nearly half adults suffer from, suffer from chronic illness, and a quarter of our children are living with chronic health conditions. According to Angela, we're all suffering from a disease of our lifestyle choices. So that's what we choose is what's making us sick, if you will. Um, she's an author. She's an international healer. And uh, she asks us to look beyond just the physical and understand how our mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of ourselves create health and healing. And uh, she's got a book, which we'll talk about. And uh, the book is called Healing Environment, the Consciousness the conscious creation of health. And she's a fantastic person. She actually did a, a brief mini reading of me that I got yesterday and it was spot on. And um, I really have a lot of respect for the work she's doing. So I'm going to bring her on right now. Good evening, Angela Levesque. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm great. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, as I just mentioned, um, I have been kind of living what you've been uh, preaching, if you will, and that building a healthful environment internally. So why don't we start with um, wh what is it about our current lifestyle that puts us in a position where uh, people are vulnerable to uh, disease? What about today's well, lifestyle? Event? That is a very um, multidimensional question. So on a very physical level, it is our everyday choices that has the biggest impact on our health. So, you know, we think about going to see the doctor and, and doing all that stuff, but it is really the day-to-day -day things, like you said, what we put in our body, um, the where we spend most of our, our time thinking, if we're spending our time, you know, constantly berating ourselves, oh, you're such an idiot, I can't believe you did that, or, or worrying about stuff that happened in the past or the future, that has a big impact. Um, the way we move our bodies has a big impact, how we deal with our stress. So on a very physical level, it's those day-to-day -day things that has the biggest impact. But then there's also um, bigger, higher level things. Like you were talking about the Starbucks cup. And that shouldn't even, I mean, people are walking around in a perpetual state of offense. And, and part of that is because we're always looking outwardly for our happiness we're looking at okay so what can i buy mm -hmm. what can you give me uh you know mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at everywhere else except for within Retail our therapy yeah exactly for for our our own happiness for our own health our well-being and so then when all of a sudden this like that that to me the cup is a is a huge non-issue so um but i think that so I, very physically, yes, we have all of those things, what we eat, how we move, all of those things impact our, our health and well-being. But I think that the bigger picture is um, we are not connected to our spirituality. We, um, there, Okay, I don't want to say there's a lot of people right now awakening, and I think that that's why there is, we have reached kind of what I call like this precipice of awakened consciousness here. And so there's a lot of people that are walking around in these bodies that they haven't been taking care of. And yet we have this huge undercurrent, this force that's just saying, awaken, wake up, wake up. And yet, you know, we're putting the cheeseburgers and the Cheetos and all of that into our bodies. And, and we have this beautiful, divine, spiritual, uh, spiritual being within ourselves that is in an old clunky body that we're not taking care of. And yet, we're being asked at this time in humanity to really um, be connected, to uh, feel that sense of spirituality and understand the energetic underpinnings of the world. And so there's, I mean, I, I think that there's, in my book I talk about there's kind of the macrocosm, there's like the big high-level spiritual stuff, and then there's the microcosm, and that's the internal environment. And so sometimes when we're talking about this, people will be like, you know, how do I change the world? I can look around and I can see all of these problems. And that's why I always bring it back to the level of the body, because it's the same choices um, that we make that will heal the body that will ultimately heal the world. So I hope we talk more about that uh, and what exactly I mean by that as we as we move forward. All right. Well, let, let's 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 take half step back and then let's get right into that. Tell us. Uh, I'm curious. Um how you got started in your 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 current field because 
you know, you're really out there on your own and you're, you're building your constituency and you, I think you have a message and you're, you're dealing with what the issue really is. And not many people are doing that. And you're out there and you're getting, you, you've been doing it for a while. You're getting started. It's, 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 a, I know it takes time to build, to build your brand, if you will. What was the tipping point for you to say, this is what I need to do? <laughs> well, you know, I really, um, at a very young age, I looked around and I said, this is BS. This can't be what life is about. It can't be about attaining stuff, the white picket fence ideal that we like to look at as the American dream. I just felt that there was something more, that there was a higher calling, not just, you know, for myself, but for all of humanity, there was more. And it was actually when my, my, uh, grandfather died when um, I was 14 and he had been really sick like all my memories of him he'd been really really sick and I grew up in a in a Christian household and we were told you know there was promise of an afterlife and there was all of this stuff and and so when he died I thought that there was, it was a blessing in his passing because he had been in so much pain and suffering and now he's going to move on with his life with God and yet people around me were so sad and they were just uh, kind of just trying to keep him alive at all costs. And when they when he passed, I was just thinking, like, don't you guys see the blessing in this event? So that just, like, mm-hmm. started this huge cascade uh, of questions. And, and I'm like, well, you know, is there not an afterlife? Is this just a lie that we don't actually believe? And so I really say that was kind of the beginning of my spiritual journey. And then um, from there, I started studying Buddhism, and I started – Taoism and reading as much as I could about different uh, religions and Eastern philosophy. And I started meditating and this is at a very young age. And, um, and I had always grown up being involved in a lot of sports and very physically active. And I thought, you know, if it really is about mind, body, spirit, then I need to Uh understand as much as I possibly can about each aspect of that. And so that's, you know, like I said, yoga and meditation and, uh, spirituality and um, I had some fun with hallucinogenic drugs for a while <laughs> I just I was I, I was a seeker I wanted to know and mm-hmm. then um, I, I my background is actually in exercise physiology and I thought I'm trying to help people change the way they eat and the way they move their bodies but they have no awareness of their self so at the same time I'm, I'm being trained in Reiki and continuing with meditation and I thought what if I started to pull these pieces together and then the last piece, which I think ultimately is the most important and where I spend probably most of my time is the mind body piece. So understanding what is going on in our minds and how that affects the body, because we can't make those changes like we know how to eat. If I put a plate of French fries or a plate of blueberries in front of you and I said, which one should you be eating? Everybody knows the answer to that. So it's not just about knowing how or what we should be doing. It's about understanding the whys. Why are we making the choices we make? What are the beliefs? What are the motivations, um, the ideas and expectations that we have about ourselves in the world that impact those choices? And as soon as we start to pull the energy, I like to think of it like a big ball of twine. As soon as we start to pull those threads of information out and really examine them, that's where we start to make choices. Um, and so it was really just this this gradual evolving, but it really came from a place of, I have a lot of questions and everywhere I look, I don't really see the answers. And then you realize the answers are all within yourself. Mm -hmm. Look, the, what do you think is the, the tipping point? That's you, you know, you mentioned yours, your grandfather passing was a big one. And I totally can relate to that because I've got a dad, he's 90, he's got Parkinson's and I see him struggling and he's like, he's been a world traveler. He's like a really, really interesting guy. And I can see that he's trapped. He's in prison and he probably chose this for himself as his way out. But I'll be in a very sad when he passes, but I'm also going to be very happy for him and relieved. And I can see the pain around me and other people like my mother and all. I understand she's afraid and everything, but you know, I, I look forward to him being free. Um, so I totally get it. And if you, and if you are religious, and you believe in the afterlife, then you should be happy when somebody you love who's in pain um, is freed from that, who's had a good long life. So I can totally relate to that. With looking at society as a whole, what do you think the tipping point has been to, to create, have, and acknowledge this current health crisis where 
you know, when I was a kid, I'm a boomer. It wasn't bad to, you know, you could eat meat. You didn't have to worry about, we didn't have GMOs. And then all of a sudden, you know, about 10 years ago, people start to wake up and say, oh my gosh, you know, the food supply is terrible now. And I stopped eating meat eight years ago, uh, eat wild caught fish. That's the only like, uh, you know, animal uh, fish that I eat. I don't eat any animals at all. Um, and then uh, everything's organic and pretty much have, you know, I'll snack a little bit now and then, but I cut out, cut out, cut out. And I, I find that number one, I don't miss any of this stuff. And number two, it becomes just, you know, a choice. Eating becomes, you're going to eat this or that. You're going to eat this or that. And you, some stuff you just have to cut out. And when you cut it out, then you forget about it. But what do you think, uh, sorry that for my digression, but what do you think was the tipping point for this whole thing where everybody kind of seemed to have woken up at the same time like our food sucks when did all all of this start to when did we get awareness of all this why did this when did this all happen that this is a real issue now and you know you don't hear the well and i mentioned the debates nobody's talking about gmos or anything like that it's the most important thing because we eat all day we eat three times a day every day and nobody cares about the food supply it seems like it's all about profit but anyhow what are your thoughts on why all this is happening right now um okay so again i think that there this is a a multi-level uh question so i think what initially started it is like you said there's just a just they changed the way that they produce food they're like how can we make it for cheaper and it really comes down i think to the the large scale mass production cuz soon as we started needing to um supply food in the large scales like through fast food chains those types of things like nothing changed our food delivery and supply chain more than fast food mm-hmm. um Fundamentally, and and then if we look at it, we take that further, right? And we look at how they have to clear cut things, how we started to take out biodiversity out of the stuff that we grow, so we can grow more corn to feed more cows. <laughs> uh, right. So I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we we altered the food supply, and in such a way that now we're not even really eating real food unless you're being very very conscious. Likely, if you're spending most of your time in the middle of the food aisles picking a, you know, food that comes from boxes, likely most of what you're eating is not real. (laughs) And so that creates a huge um, resistance in the body. And then, you know, why it's become more aware is because we have to face it. So we have economic challenges now. I mean, the the cost to our healthcare system because of all of the type 2 diabetes, because of all the cancer, they came out a couple months ago saying that by 2030, one in two people will be diagnosed with cancer. So, uh, so there's a financial aspect to that that's really kind of driving the the policy message that okay we need to slim down we need to eat better and at the same time we we live in a what I call a corporatocracy where we have uh, you know huge special interests and lobbyists that that go to the capital and say here you know if you look at even food subsidies the way that we subsidize um, the food that is the most unhealthy for us. And then we take that food and we put it in our schools. We put it in our hospitals. Um, So on one hand, we're hearing messages all over the place. Like, okay, we, I mean, every chronic illness is skyrocketing. Autoimmune diseases are skyrocketing. Type 2 diabetes, cancer, everything, right? So on one hand, we have these messages. Okay, whoa, we're facing this global health crisis. And on the same side, we have, um, uh, you know, the government, uh, we have the media. Uh, if you look at the amount, sheer amount of um, advertisements that we're being bombarded with on a daily basis for the pharmaceutical company, for fast food, junk food, processed food, all of those things, um, saying, okay, don't eat this. At the same time, we're setting up a system where that's all we're going to give you. And uh, mm-hmm. so, again, I think it comes back to the individual. And you have to be very conscious about what it is you're putting in your body. And even now, you know, as more of the multinationals get into the organic industry, they're starting to change the way that it's regulated so that they can loosen those regulations. So more, um, you know, pesticides and herbicides, stuff that shouldn't be in there, and that was the foundation of having organic food, is now, oh, but we can have this in. And so a lot of the checks and balances that existed are being um, desecrated basically so it's a it's i think it's it's such a weird thing because do it don't do it and then yet we're gonna 
like I said, if you look at the way we feed our children, I don't know how old your <laughs> how old your children are, but um, it's I, I actually send a lunch with my son every single day because I don't want him eating the food that they serve in the cafeteria. Or if you look at the food they serve in hospitals, this is supposed to be a place for healing, and yet it's all just processed food. Well, that's a good point. Let me let me hold you on that one. Uh, number one, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and he only eats organic, and he doesn't eat any meat. So he goes to daycare three days a week, and we figured, okay, uh, we'll let him have poultry. We don't want him to feel ostracized with the other kids, but that's it. No beef, no lamb, no pork, and uh, he rejects the poultry. So he'll eat pasta or whatever, and we make snacks for him, and he brings that along, and and uh, it works out fine. And then we figured, you know what? When he gets older and he's going to make some decisions on his own, he can choose what he wants. But at home, we're going to give him the best food possible, and that's just the way it is. And he likes it. And he, like tonight, we had wild skate he had with uh, some type of brown rice and and uh, organic potatoes. And uh, he, you know, he, he he eats it. He doesn't, you know, he eats green vegetables and stuff. It's like he just he's been eating that from the beginning, so he doesn't know junk. So that's good. And as a result, he's lean and mean. And uh, my wife is 5'1", and I'm only 5'10", and he's in a 90 percent tile for height. So that's pretty good. And he's in a 35 percent percentile for weight. So he's tall and lean, which is fantastic. Um, but I think you're right. Um, you know, I'm reading all the stuff about when the World Health Organization came out and started talking about bacon. You know, bacon's not good for you. And the, the pushback on that, even in the press, I was reading an article by a, in the New York Post. Let me put that in quotes. And this guy was ranting about, you know, it's OK to eat bacon. These are health nuts, blah, blah, blah. You'd have to eat so much bacon. The issue isn't bacon per se. The issue is the processing. There is no amount. The studies have shown that there's no amount of deli meat or processed meat that's good for you. Zero. It's all bad. And the only thing you can eat in a delicatessen that's somewhat, you know, healthy would be, you know, that fresh roasted turkey that's not processed at all. If you do eat meat, that's it. That's it. And look at all the sandwiches that are consumed. Look at all the hamburgers, the French fries, the Subway sandwiches. It's just amazing. And, and people are fighting it, saying, like, I'll eat what I want. You know, screw you. OK, fine. But they're, they're going to get sick when they're older. And they're going to get sick when they're younger versus older, older. And it's just if you're eating that garbage as a kid, like I have nieces and nephews and they grow up eating chicken McNuggets and stuff like that. And that's all they'll eat. And my son's eating organic. And they're making a big mistake, in my opinion, that, you know, we have to as parents and it's just a new world. We have to really be careful as to what we the decisions we make as to what these kids should be able to eat. And I agree with you also on the hospital thing. When I was in a hospital a year ago, I put down I was a vegetarian. What did the first thing they gave me? Beef soup. I said, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> they came back 10 minutes later. Here's your chicken soup. I said, a chicken is an animal. I don't eat that. We don't have any vegetable soup. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to eat? And then they came back two hours later with this packet, which was basically salt, uh, you know, some type of vegetable <laughs> package thing with hot water. And, uh, you know, what happened was my wife made organic homemade soup and we brought our food in because the food at the hospital was all sugar. It was terrible. And, you know, I'm alive because of Western medicine. Uh, great at surgery, great at robotic surgery, great at extracting things, great at observation, great at detection. But the hospital system, are you kidding me? The food they give you. <laughs> And the preventative aspect of it. I asked my doctor, how did I get this? I don't know. It's sporadic. What can I do to prevent it? You know, don't smoke. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, that's okay, fine. I don't, I don't. So you're on your own. And so what can we do? Educate us, Angela. Tell us about the work you're doing and what people can do to really, you have five points um, to live a, uh, five components for creating the optimal healing environment in the body that promotes and supports the body's innate healing abilities. Let's talk about that, some of your work. Well, so first I want to say kudos to you and uh, what you're doing with your son, because that is so important. If you look at the menus at restaurants, the kids' menu is the most unhealthy part of that 
<laughs> of that restaurant. And so it's, I mean, and that you're right. If you, my son, the same thing, he's never a nug, a nugget has never touched his lips. There's no, I'm not into goldfish. I'm not into any, like, and the thing is people will say, well, my son won't eat anything but that. Well, we, our, we do have that innate ability. We have these, this drive towards balance and perfection in our body. We see that we cut ourselves and um, all of these processes go into place and we bring it back a sense of wholeness and that's on a very physical level. So you take your son and the way he eats, right? He was born, you know, perfect and whole. And so if you feed him right. good food, we, we always come at things like we shouldn't trust ourselves. Like we shouldn't, you know, trust what our, what our bodies are telling us, what it's saying we need. Instead, again, we're always looking outside, but your son, he's got good food. He's, he hasn't been socialized or, um, you know, no enculturation has taken place where he's, where he's being told, okay, you have to eat this food and um, don't trust, you know, don't trust yourself. Look, look out towards other people. So he eats this food. He knows it feels good, whether he's totally conscious of that or not. And he continues to eat that food. Um, so it's so going back to this this idea that we have this innate healing ability we do we have this part of us that is perfect balance and whole and it has a drive towards homeostasis we have so many mechanisms in our body that want to take us to this place of balance and wholeness and it will do that if we let it but what happens is is we uh, we talk down to ourselves. We let other people's ideas of how the world works interfere with our ideas of what we know is truth. There's all of these things that teach us that, okay, we can't listen to ourselves. We are not balanced. We are not whole. And so I created the Optimal Healing Environment um, as kind of five ways that you could look at how do I create balance in my life so I actually promote that innate drive towards wholeness and perfection rather than you know constantly tearing it down. So the first thing is creative movement. And I, um, I actually don't go to the gym, although some people like going to the gym and that works for them, but I like to move my body creatively and I like to be outside in nature. And I think there's added benefits for healing when you're actually outside, um, and enjoying, you know, the, the colors and it's so beautiful here in Boise right now with the, the fall, the falling leaves and the, the autumn colors, but so creative movement. So using our bodies, um, in, so, so that, it, that could the, be like a run in a park? Yeah, running in a park. Um, the activities of daily living. Like you look at running on a treadmill. We've even put personalized TVs on our treadmill right. so we don't have mm -hmm. to pay attention to what we're doing. Right. Um, it's like this chore. If you can just get it over with, okay, I'm done moving my body for the day. I can go on and do the rest of it. But instead, you know, if you look at the people who have the longest um, and had the highest quality of life, they still are out there. Um, mowing their lawn in their 90s and, you know, doing things, those activities yep. of daily living that we kind of like to outsource sometimes because, you know, we have better things to do, which the average person watches 35 hours of TV a week. So <laughs> there you go. And then the second well, thing let's, is... Let's, let's let's talk about that for a second before we move sure. to point two. The, uh, the media. Now, I come from my backgrounds in advertising and I, I know the power of the media. I know the power of branding and marketing. But I find that I was I was under the weather about a week and a half ago. I'm rarely I'm rarely sick, but I got a little I picked up a bug I think from my son's daycare and I just had to kind of hang out a little bit. And one day I stayed home and I I watched TV and it made me feel sick. The the onslaught of quick cuts and commercials and just everybody like yelling at me and the talk, the yakking and the shows, the violence and the the conflict and the news, the negativity, it's like I found that the TV was making me sicker. And I'm from the business. I just think we have to be really, really careful about the media consumption is as important as the food consumption. What is your point of view on that, Angela? Oh, absolutely. And it's so funny, too, because like if you watch the evening news, I would say at least 40 to 60 percent of those commercials are for pharmaceuticals. Yes. And so then it's funny, yep. if you watch daytime TV, there'll be commercials for pharmaceuticals, and then the next commercial will be for a class action lawsuit. Contact these lawyers if you've experienced right. any mm -hmm. <laughs> side effects from the drug commercials you just saw, So from the drugs. So, uh, yeah, it is, I mean, and again, it's it's 
trying to sell you something. Because if you look at the basis of all the stuff we're talking today, it's consumption and desire and that are at the roots of all of this. So we c cannot make any large-scale changes in, and I'm talking about consumption, the way material goods, stuff that we buy outside of ourselves, and that's what the media is like. You can't be happy, fulfilled, successful, a great lover, unless you have this, 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 right? Like constantly creating that desire, and then we consume. And so that's the, the two things that really drive all of this, whether we're looking at our environmental challenges, whether we're looking at our, our health challenges, the way we consume media, the way we consume food. Um, there's so many, we have all of these addictions to things, and that's because we're constantly looking outside of ourselves. And media is just another um, another part of that that's saying, you know what, you're not good enough unless you have this, the new iPhone, or um, unless your your TV or your favorite sports team is winning, or, you know, and it, we're totally at the whim of what's going on. And so the media plays a huge role in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I just wanted to touch on that. So the, number two. Well, number two is what I call diet awareness. Um, so I do eat meat. I'm very uh, conscious about where I get meat. We have a lot of local farms here. I like grass-fed um, beef. I really care, you know, talking about bacon. I really, my biggest issue is the the way that we treat animals. And if you look at the factory mm -hmm. farming system and the intensive yep. farming, it is, um, it's devastating because what I know is what we do to our neighbors, what we do to animals, what we do to um, we do to ourselves ultimately. And so there's uh, any disrespect that's, along that's this, true. This, mm -hmm. this. The system is a disrespect to ourselves. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I tried being vegetarian for an entire year and I have a background as a chef, so I wasn't just eating white pasta. And I had a really hard time. Actually, it was the heaviest I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot <laughs> um, of carbs, right? Uh, I, uh, I just, I mean, I ate a lot of beans and legumes and, and, um, I, it just, it didn't. And so then as soon as I started eating a little bit of meat, I, my weight, I dropped all the 30 pounds in two months without trying. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty, a pretty significant thing. So what I call diet awareness, because I don't believe that there is one right way for everyone to eat. There's not an across the board. This is it. You know, and we try and do that with the food pyramid or now it's the my plate and this is what you need to eat. And, and I appreciate from a public health standpoint why we have to kind of have these guidelines. But I think, again, going in inside and saying, OK, what does my body really need? And then paying attention, like if you go and you eat uh, at uh, McDonald's or whatever, how do you feel before you eat? How do you feel during and how do you feel after? And it's these kind exactly. of connections this level mm -hmm. of awareness that we need to start um, cultivating so that we can learn and say, okay, this isn't right for my body. I feel sluggish. I'm gassy. I'm all these different things. And then how do I feel when I'm eating like a quinoa salad or something? And again, before, during, and after. And the reason I say before is because you can really tune into your cravings. You can really start to understand like the sugar, fat, salt um, addictions that a lot of us have and, what is the drive towards that food? It's, again, that desire aspect, um, the desire and then the consumption. So uh, that, those are the things. So I call it diet awareness because we need to all get acutely aware of how we need to feed our bodies. And I, I think because we have all a unique biochemistry that there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I think there's some general guidelines, um, but... I think it's important to really cater to your body's needs. And until we learn to, to move our attention inwards, that's a really difficult task for a lot of people. So again, you know, you might seek out a nutritionist or, but ultimately no matter what um, is presented to you, you really need to kind of try it on and try it within and say, okay, does this work for me? And how do I feel? Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, over the past year, I've tried uh, so many different, different diets. And then I realized, well, it's like, it's not about a diet. I just have to make a change and I'll base it on all my learning. So the biggest thing I got was I did juicing. I did organic juicing. I did the master cleanse. Uh, and I did all these things a couple of times, no alcohol, no sweets. But the biggest one was 
the month of July, my wife and I both, we didn't eat anything that had sugar in it. So no carbs, uh, nothing, no condiments, nothing that had any added sugar in it whatsoever. And we were eating like pumpkin seeds and, and uh, natural grass-fed yogurt and stuff like that for like a month. And I got to tell you, it changed my body chemistry. It stopped the, uh, the yearning, if you will, the fetish for sugar. I lost a lot of weight and I kept it off because I realized that it was sugar was my enemy. And also with having some type of internal growths that were taken out, I know they, from what I've read, they love sugar. So mm-hmm. I said, let me see what happens if I stop eating sugar. And it was huge, huge. It was the biggest, that was my biggest learning is like sugar is bad news. So you, what, what's your thoughts on, uh, on sugar? Oh, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And that is too really in our collective consciousness right now. Yeah, okay. it's I, you know there's that, a huge awareness about um, sugar and people calling it poison. And um, I I couldn't agree with you more. And and I like the idea again going back to the cravings and being able to listen. You're listening to your body and notice um, just how much you wanted to have that sugar and then how how you shifted after not having it. And I, I'm just so glad that it's such a, um, so in our face right now, the effects of sugar. And, but I think what people don't realize is just, you know, white bread is sugar. <laughs> you know, yeah. like just because you're not eating exactly. or drinking a can of Coke. Starch, or, um, yeah. yeah. And so realizing um, just Ketchup that sugar. sugar is so many. Yes, exactly. Sugar is just, so pervasive and it's in so many things that uh, people sometimes will be like, I don't even realize it. And then when you look at processed food, just not only the sugar inherent in the, in the starch or whatever, but the added sugar that they add in, like if you look at a granola bar, you know, people think, Oh, well it's a granola bar. It's healthy. But if you look at the label and see how much sugar there is in there, you realize, wow, this is not good. So um, that's a little trick, too, that if you're looking at the label and um, there's no fiber content and there's, you know, mm-hmm. 20 grams of sugar, basically there's four grams in a teaspoon of white in a teaspoon of sugar. So that's a lot. Can you imagine if you took that and, you know, counted it out using white table sugar? You That would really be an eye opening experience. And and yogurt is another one that drives me crazy is that yeah. people are like, mm-hmm. oh, yogurt, it's healthy. And then you look and it has you know, 34 grams of sugar in it. And uh, sugar is the second ingredient. <laughs> yeah. So people crazy. need to be very, very aware of that. Okay. Um, number three. Number three, uh, stress management. So stress reduction and relaxation. This needs, uh, this is such an important, important thing. And our stress is a lot about has a lot to do with our perception of things. So I like the definition of stress that our perceived resources don't meet our perceived demands. So whether that's time and money or, you know, it's basically saying that we don't feel we have what it takes, whether that is time or money for what's being asked of us. But I like that definition because it talks about the perception. So very often stress now is a, it's a mental construct. It's yes. okay. Oh my gosh, I don't have enough time. I've got all these things to do and I can't get it done. And what am I going to do? And if you're just to stop and breathe and, you know, kind of think about is can I, is this really a stressor? Like most of the time we get our stuff done, but then we spend so much of our mental energy and, you know, thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to get this done? Am I going to get it done? And just when you bring your attention and your awareness into this present moment, you'll realize that time actually feels to expand. And there's a lot more opportunity to to do what's being asked of us. But when we're constantly putting our brain in 10 different places at once, it's, it, it becomes easy to think that we don't have what it takes for what's being asked of us. So just whatever it is, whether it's going for a walk, exercise obviously is, is good for weight management. It's got a lot of um, benefits, but it's, one of its benefits is stress reduction. Maybe it's a bath with some candles and some aromatherapy, but every single day you've got to think, okay, how do I bring myself back into balance? How can I um, 
just calm the body, calm the mind, so that I have the opportunity to hear, you know, the the nudgings about what I should be eating, um, how my body feels like moving, and all of that comes together when we are able to still ourselves. And so stress management is just, it's just so important. And it's not something, um, if you go to like WebMD, they'll say 70 to 95% of doctor's visits are either directly related to stress or um, exacerbated by it. So when we talk about diseases of lifestyle, uh, we have a very stressful life. And then when we look at things like um, social media and our smartphones and that we're always accessible, we need to pull ourselves back a bit and say, do I need to be accessible all the time? Do I need to know every second when a new email comes in? And so we have to, again, be conscious and deliberate and say, okay, I need to take some time out and uh, really just focus on myself and my well-being. Mm-hmm. Well stated, well stated. Okay, number four in the five components for creating the optimal healing environment in the body that promotes and supports the body's innate healing abilities. Drum roll. Well, <laughs> number four I call right thinking. So it's not always about positive thinking. Um, what I call a positive mental attitude or outlook is when your emotions are in alignment with the situation. So if you are if you've lost your father um, and you're grieving, that's in alignment with the situation. But if you're spending your day talking to yourself, oh, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that, da da da, and you're just your incessant self-talk is just overly negative and you're constantly putting yourself down, that's not in alignment with the situation. So right thinking is just really about um, being aware of the messages that we're sending our body. I like to think of our mind kind of as a director. And so if we are thinking, spending the day thinking about how we're not good enough and we should have done this and should have done that, what are we asking our bodies to do? How are our bodies responding to those messages? So it's uh, becoming consciously aware of the thoughts in your head and then choosing for for appropriate emotional responses in alignment with the situation. I agree 100%. One of the things that I have found, and I've, you know, stress is something you bring upon yourself and, and you kind of define it. And I, I've been in business and made a lot of money and I'm doing what I'm doing now. And it's, you know, the ship is, you know, getting ready to sail and it's getting better and better. And uh, when I, I stop and think about all the what ifs and all the other stuff and like, oh, my God, it can become stressful. So what I do is from my reading and from my meditations and from my managing my thoughts, I the first thing I think of and I read this, I'll give credit to uh, Paul Selig, who has a book called I Am the Word. Uh, in one of his books, he says that the guides that he works with say, if you start the day the first thing you say to yourself or think of is I am in alignment to truth. And I've been doing that and it's really, it's really helped me a lot. Just the first thing. And then making sure, uh, as you say, uh, right thinking throughout the day, being in the now, not worrying about yesterday or tomorrow, just doing what has to get done step by step and savoring, enjoying every moment. And it really makes a huge difference. Um, Okay. I love that w- waking up. I love that you said that because it uh, it makes such a difference instead of just jumping out of bed thinking, okay, what do I have to get done today? It's a completely yeah, different it, experience. Yeah, and the truth is, you know, universal consciousness and and oneness and and the the God, you know, experience. And you know, if I'm in alignment with that, then nothing can go wrong because uh, what will unfold for me is what. I need to learn. And I ask for that each day too, to allow myself to be uh, given what I'm supposed to learn each day. And, uh, and it's, and it seems to be working for me and it's really calmed me down a lot. It's calmed down my thinking. And also just, uh, I don't know if it's worked for you or not, but just the, the, the act of surrender and just saying, mm-hmm. let it go. Like I surrender, you know, like lead me, let me be a vessel. And uh, it's very empowering because you have all this then energy flowing through you. And uh, it becomes a completely different experience in how, in how you live. And it's, and it's a lot, I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's relaxing too. It's like uh, surfing. So I, I really enjoy that. I don't know. Have you, have you done anything like that, Angela? Personally? Well, my, 
in my book, I say surrender is not a giving up or a giving in. It's a letting in and a letting go. And mm -hmm. so surrender and release is a really important um, component of, of a lot of my classes, but also just a lot of my own personal work is, is just sitting with my stuff and then just, this, you know, it's it's interesting because it doesn't even have to be a, you know, a real conscious process that I'm going to let this go. It's like once you just sit with it and, and you face maybe your fears or your grief or maybe your failure or your shadow side, whatever. And when you just sit with it and you get to witness it, it just seems to it just seems to disappear. And it's not even something you're like, OK, I'm letting this go in a very, uh, you know, deliberate way, but just it just seems to kind of drift in and out. And I like that. Um, so surrendering is a, it's a important part, I think of uh, our, our next step in humanity's awakening. Now, as part of that, you touched on it very briefly, and I wish you to extrapolate on it. And that is uh, receiving, because the other thing I seem to be learning is that you have to be, it's important to, all right, you surrender. So you let go, but also you have to have make room for your success and for the things you want to actualize and manifest. But also, you have to put yourself in a position to be receiving. So you can, you know, download your divine self or the Christ self or whatever, however you want to express that. But you have to put yourself in a position so you can receive. And I think a lot of people have uh, are challenged by that. And that even the concept, could you talk about that a little bit? You know, I had this woman on my radio show a few weeks ago. Her name's Phyllis King. And she said something in her book, uh, The Energy of Abundance. She said that effort is a mid-level frequency. And I, I just like it really hit home with me because I, there's this part of me, because I'm a little bit type A, that's like, if I can just do more, if I can just right, you know, send out another blog, if I can write another newsletter, if I can just do more, then I'm going to get there. And uh, so that's something that I've been working on is just kind of being, but when she said that, that effort's a mid-level frequency, I just kind of, just kind of shook me a bit. And I thought, wow. And she goes on to say, you know, um, and you kind of touched on this as well, that if you want to bring something in your life, it can't blossom if it doesn't have the space. So if you're mm -hmm. filling your space with doing and distractions and worrying about red cups and um, all of that, you're really limiting what your potential and what's possible. But if you stop and you just receive, again, it, it comes from that place that we don't have enough, that we're these imperfect beings, that we're um, just filled with lack. And, and the thing is, is that we're not. And so when we connect with that, when we let go and we surrender and we just allow this stuff to come to us, knowing that we are worthy and perfect and whole and balanced, and we don't need to, to put so much effort into getting to that place. If we just hang back and receive and allow, it's amazing. You, you physically like create space you emotionally create space and this expansion allows for that potential um to come into your life so it's a really important part of the um you know of, of being living on purpose mm -hmm. let me touch on one last thing on this point for this right thinking because I, I think it's so important and that is you know i was reading the other day and it was new new to me uh i know i've read it before but it just clicked this time and that is um when you start to identify with things that bother you uh, and criticize or whatever, and it's very easy to become a mental crit inner critic and the mental judge, whether it's of yourself or others and all of that. And it said, then you are putting yourself in a somewhat of a prison where you are in the darkness. And the better way to do it is to be the light because the light will always overpower, overshadow the darkness. So instead of getting pulled down into all the garbage where you have to fight everything and like criticize and judge, and even though there's so many wrong things going on, if you be the beacon, be the light, you will shine over the darkness anyhow, and it's a much better and much more effective way of being and helping the world. Thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we are Not we easy. No, it's not easy, but in a way it's it's so much more enjoyable. So instead of just, you know, 
drudging through your old stuff and your crap and, uh, you know, just where we put our attention, that's where we put our energy. And so say, for example, we have this coworker that's just driving us nuts and we spend our time, you come home and then you unload that on your wife and, oh, you should have seen what she did today. And she was so awful. And I can't, and, and every time you're reliving that energy, you're just, you're just putting that energy out and then you're letting it come back in and putting it out and coming. And so nothing's going to change until Mm -hmm. you shift to a higher place. So if you look and said, and, instead of coming home and just lamenting and um, and rehashing the events of the day, you just hold that lady or and hold yourself in a space of love. And to me, that is just so much easier. It's again, that desire, that craving, that attraction. It's the same thing, the, whether that's, we're talking about sugar or whether we're talking about drama, <laughs> it's the mm-hmm. same kind of thing that keeps us stuck there spinning our wheels. So instead of, coming home and rehashing and just putting that energy out and sucking it back up. I like Caroline Meese would say that we have these, we make energetic investments. And so we need to make sure that we're investing our energy into good things. So we get good returns on those investments. So instead of, you know, rehashing with that, with that woman, you change your energy, you shift it up and you yep. hold this connection, that person, the relationship, the situation in a higher vibration in a higher state of love. And you pull not only yourself up there, but you pull that up there. And anytime you change your energy, you change the exchange. So um, I agree with you a lot on that. Okay. Um, All right. That brings us to number five uh, of the five components for creating the optimal healing environment. And this, I mean, this is really connected to what we were just talking about, but understanding the spiritual and energetic nature of our being. So really, once I started, um, I took my first Reiki class, I think, in 2005. And once, uh, it was kind of like an invitation um, into the energetic world. And I don't use Reiki so much anymore, but I... It just as soon as I started to see the world through an energetic lens, to understand that we are these beautiful divine beings of light and understand the energy behind uh, emotions, relationships, all of those things, it really, um, it just opened up a whole new world for me. And so when we do understand, I started off the beginning of the show saying that, you know, we have this huge push towards awakening and expanded consciousness. And we have these, these bodies that just aren't up for that challenge. And as we shift up and, you know, as you were talking about taking the sugar out and you were creating a, a, a vessel that allowed more room for that expanded consciousness. And so um, as soon as we start to appreciate that we are the, these these spiritual beings uh, and we start to move from that space versus, you know, getting stuck in the, the minutia of life and the drama and worrying about, you know, what shoes and your sports team and red cups and all of that silly stuff that doesn't matter. And we realize and live with the understanding that we, and the knowing that we are spiritual and energetic beings, it fully, it just shifts the consciousness around everything. So I think that that is uh, maybe the most important part of all of it. Okay. Fantastic. Our guest is Angela Levesque. Her book is healing environment, the conscious creation of health. Uh, let's uh, just real quick um, talk about uh, how you work because you were kind enough. Angela, actually, I, you know, I have a lot, I'm so blessed that, I've got my show and it's all started out with a novel about advertising, the guy's guy's guide for love. And it's it's bloomed into this guy's guy brand where when, when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And I've been connected to all these wonderful guests. And a lot of them are teachers and metaphysical healers. And, and I've gotten to know a lot of them and I've read all their books and uh, they're just wonderful, wonderful people like Angela. So occasionally I'll ask like, why don't you uh, take a look at me and tell me what you think? And uh, invariably, nine out of 10 say, sure. And Angela was kind enough to do an energetic reading of me and connected me through automatic writing to a uh, a guardian. And uh, it was funny because his name was Chris. It was like, dude, Chris here. You know, I was thinking like, (laughs) it was like, what, a surfer guardian or something, Chris? I was like, was not Enoch or Ezekiah or something, Chris? But anyhow, uh, the message was, so spot on to what I've been working on that I was so pleased to hear that. 
that it was wonderful. So first of all, tell us a little bit about how, how you work with people, how you work with your clients and, you know, between the automatic writing and the tapping into uh, your guides and their guides and all of that and how, how that all works. And thank you, by the way, it was very helpful to me. You're welcome. Well, I could think of nothing more apropos than for the guy's guy, for your name to to have your buddy, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic. You know, sometimes they have really strange names, and I'm just like, <laughs> is, am I getting that right? But um, so I do, I do some energy work, and then I do intuitive, uh, kind of intuitive spiritual coaching. But the intuitive readings that you're talking about, uh, this is something that's kind of new for me. Um, I've been intuitive I, my whole life. I always knew who liked who, and in, in junior high and everyone's like how do you know that stuff and I and I didn't really know at that time but I've always mm -hmm. been a writer as well and so I've been doing automatic writing for a long time and then because of my meditation practice and I'm able to go within I've heard a lot of uh, my radio show they said hey you don't have any background in journalism whatsoever you're going to do a radio show so I followed through my book came to me in a meditation followed through so the next thing that kind of came up is you need to start doing intuitive readings for people Okay, so I follow through. That's a really important part. When you hear the messages, follow through, because usually they lead you to pretty amazing things. So I just started, um, I, I had had a really good relationship with my guides, and they and I said, okay, you want me to do readings? I'm getting that loud and clear. What does this look like? And they kind of gave me a way that this is how you need to connect. And so I started connecting. And, and then now people just they contact me and say, hey, can you do a reading? And usually I've never, ever met them. I've never seen a picture. They just send me an email and say, uh, can you ask about career advice? Can you get a general reading? And so I connect to my guides and then I connect to them and their spiritual team. And then I ask uh, if a member of their spiritual team wants to step forth for this reading. Sometimes it's their highest self. I've talked to deities. Um, a lot of times it's just their spirit guides. And so somebody will come forth with that specific, uh, whether it's career or general reading. And then I write a message out through in, um, automatic writing. So I just allow that guide to use my vessel for a brief amount of time. And I write a message and then they usually guide me for another aspect of the reading. And so then they stick with me and then I create a recording. And the reason I do this is one, I think people would be creeped out if I started doing automatic writing in front of them. Right. <laughs> I think that's a bit creepy. But also too, um, lots of times when you go see a psychic or an intuitive, there's a lot of expectation that goes along with that. And so you'll see even from a, a perspective like, oh, so there's this woman and then they'll say, oh, well, that must be my grandmother. Oh yeah. And so there's a lot of leading on both sides and there's a lot of expectation on both sides. And I just found it so much easier if I just take all of that out of the equation. Cause when they're in front of me, there's different cues, right? You can read body language, you can hear what mm -hmm. they, the language they use. And so I just really like to do it, um, you know, off in my own place and create the recording and then send it to them. And it's actually easier, the less information I have about that person, because then um, I, I really can connect to that, that stuff. And I don't have my mind going in and saying, well, you know, that she's a, an administrator. Well, you knew nothing person. about me, right? You had nothing. We'd <laughs> yeah. never spoken or anything. And uh, you really <laughs> yeah. had a lot, a lot of background on me. And, and uh, the message was so uh, uh, relevant uh, that I was like, wow. I mean, it was a great message, number one, but, and I was very pleased for that, but also it was very relevant to what I'm going through. So I was like, wow, cool. And I, it was so clear and the automatic writing was so clear. So I just, you know, for our audience, check out, uh, Angela, she's uh, fantastic. So why don't you tell, uh, the folks where to find you, your website, the book, et cetera, and your services, because I, I highly endorse Angela. She's a wonderful person, and I, I really love what she's doing. She's a trailblazer, and you know we have to support people who are spreading the spreading the word to do really good things to help people. So tell us about where everybody can find you. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for the kind words too. You made my heart smile. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my good. book, Healing Healing Environment: The Conscious Creation of Health, you can find that on Amazon. And then you can also learn more. I have a radio show Wednesday mornings called Entanglement Radio. Um, and uh, like I said, I do intuitive spiritual coaching um, as well as 
energy work, and intuitive readings. And you can find out all of that on HestiaHealth.com. And Hestia is a Greek goddess, and she was all about getting the center of yours together. Uh, her symbol is the eternal flame. And so she would go and light the flame um, in the center of, of communities. She's a Greek goddess. And uh, so it's all about getting your own center together before you can create and light the flame and the, create those ripples in the rest of the world. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to, to meet you. Again, I thank you for doing that mini reading and helping me. And um, I love the work you're doing. And um, hopefully, and I enjoyed our conversation today tremendously. And I hope our audience got a lot out of it. And they will check out your work, The Healing Environment, The Conscious Creation of Health, Angela Levesque. And um, hopefully we can have you back on again, maybe in the spring. That would be great. Yeah. That would be fantastic. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, that's our show. Angela Levesque has been our special guest. This is Guys Guys Radio. And and I haven't done a, the little, you know, promotion for the show. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the whole Guys Guys movement, if you will, started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is it's a romantic comedy. And it's available. It's got very, very good reviews. On, you can get it on Probably the best place is Amazon or one of the e-tailers. Uh, you can find it in some bookstores, though. Um, you can catch me on Facebook, Robert Manny Author, Twitter at Robert Manny, YouTube, Robert Manny Author. We've got a series of videos now. And every uh, podcast for Guys Guys Radio, we're up to 160 podcasts now. They're all available for your listening pleasure whenever you want for free on iTunes and also at Blog Talk Radio. So I hope you'll... Uh, you know, keep up with us and check my blog, my weekly blog. I usually put a new one up on Thursday. This week it might go up on Friday. But uh, we usually do one a week and in, in-depth, and we're syndicated now. And we've got lots of videos and stuff on my website, robertmanny.com. So, again, the Guys Guys movement is all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And better men, better world. And remember, guys, guys, finish first. See you next week. <laughs>